Alright, you primitive screwheads, listen up. Oh my god, I smell shenanigan! I have no idea what's going on, but I am excited! Yeah, baby, yeah! Ever dance with the devil in the pale Inconceivable! Cowabunga! I thought this was a party! It's two Moskis and a podcast. With Eric and Jeff. Tattoo, Varada, <laughs> Well, with that in mind, welcome to Two Nerdskis in a Podcast, everybody. It's the one show where two nerdskis come together and talk about everything pop culture and entertainment. Uh, my name's Eric, and of course, you heard Jeff uh, there just quoting one of the most memorable quotes in all of cinematic history. Um, Army of Darkness. Yes. <laughs> but they got that line from this topic today. Uh, what would so, that be? Well, it's the day the earth stood still. What the fuck is that? The day the earth stood still. What the fuck is that? The day the earth stood still. <laughs> what the fuck is that? Oh, there's, only, there's only army of darkness. What the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> Anyways, though, honestly, that's the title of the movie, The Day the Earth Stood Still. Um, it is. It came out in 1951, stars Michael Rennie as Klaatu, an alien emissary from a federation of planets. And has come to the Trek. Earth. No, not Star Trek. But I wouldn't be surprised if this inspired Gene Roddenberry in some fashion or another. But this um, Klaatu comes to Earth to warn everyone of something and uh this is this is definitely a movie worth talking about to say the least but um you know actually before we get started proper um there's something i wanted to try out differently so um jeff wanted to talk jeff wanted to try something a little bit different here and so um so i I would like to start off by talking about maybe like here um since since we have some since we since we're like nerds and we watch movies and play video games and watch tv shows maybe some recommendations for people to check out and whatnot so uh for me um right now let's see uh i haven't let's see i've only been watching some of the movies that we've been watching and um i may have watched the snatter cut way too many times so i need to give that movie a fucking break but um in terms of TV shows. Um, I have recently just rewatched, started rewatching Smallville. Uh, if anyone doesn't know what Smallville is, Smallville is the, it's sort of the prequel show to the Superman mythos. It's all about a teenage Clark Kent living in Smallville before he becomes the man, the future man of steel. Um, it came out in 2001 star Tom Welling as Clark Kent. Um, uh, amongst a whole other cavalcade of like, great cast um a, a great cast with them and uh ran from 2001 all the way to 2011 so 10 years it's one of the longest running superhero it, no it is the longest running superhero show ever made it is the longest time that an actor has played superman um technically and it's also considered one of the longest running like super science fiction slash sci-fi shows or fantasy shows ever made 
until super supernatural surpassed it with uh 15 seasons um so yeah it's a show i highly recommend watching um especially if you're into superman or superheroes in general um because it's oh so i mean i definitely will say it has its rough spots um it is kind of a tough sit for some things um but it in the end i still find it far superior than anything that the cw has pushed out these days although i do hear that superman and lois is really damn good um so i haven't watched i haven't really watched the show but i've seen some clips and i'm like really kind of like surprised by the quality of that show so um it kind of feels like a spiritual successor to smallville in a way but um yeah that's what i've been indulging in for the moment so jeff do you have any like uh recommendations you got right now um more or less just a recap of what i've been watching uh i've been i've been watching this uh mini series on apple plus called lizzie's story uh starring julianne moore uh, i think it's based off a stephen king book uh at first i was pretty intrigued it had a strong opening uh you know good hook for a premise and the series itself looks stunning, but it's not a very good show, unfortunately. It's I'm about four or five ep- episodes in, and it's only supposed to be like eight to ten episodes long, I think. Uh, you know, it's not it's not doing the second season. Uh, it's only going to be a mini series, and it uh, it's pretty fucking pretentious. I'm not gonna lie. And the characters are pretty hollow. It's very hard to, I mean, Julianne Moore is a wonderful actress and, you know, you have other, you have other actors like Clive Owen and Jennifer Jason Lee. Like there's talent behind this, but they have such weak material to work with and no one is really likable, unfortunately. And it seems to be getting kind of a mixed response. And, uh, I mean, if you're a cinematography junkie, it's, it's worth checking out, but if you're a casual viewer, it's it's not really worth it. I mean, we'll see, we'll see how the. I mean, I'm probably going to finish it anyway, uh, just to see how it wraps up. But yeah, so far it's not very good. And honestly, from I haven't seen everything that Apple Plus has published exclusively, but I haven't really been impressed with anything that I've seen that. Uh, that Tom Hanks ship movie was it Greyhound or whatever it was called. I think it was Greyhound. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, one of the most generic bland world war two movies I've ever seen. Uh, it's fine, but it just, it leaves zero impression. Uh, I guess the best show I've seen is servant, uh, produced by M night Shyamalan. And, you know, again, strong premise for, for a hook, but, some of the lead characters are just so unbearably annoying. Uh, so it, it can be a tough watch at times, but you know, there's, there's good mystery and intrigue around it. So it's worth a shot. If you like Shyamalan, uh, you know, he, you know, he's not directing every episode, but you can tell it's definitely his style and influence all over the show. So if you like Shyamalan, it's, uh, it, it's worth at least a shot, but, yeah, Apple Plus kind of is probably my least favorite streaming service that I've encountered. I haven't tried I haven't tried all of them, but 
yeah, Apple Plus is probably my least favorite. I think that's the one service I don't have right now. I mean, so yeah, there's um, it I, doesn't it doesn't have any hook. Doesn't really have a lot titles. to offer. I mean, like it seems like they're going the route of you know letting you know filmmakers have more creative freedom on their projects, which is commendable, but it's all in the ex- in all in the execution, and so far, just nothing has really landed for me. Mm. Well, I guess that's that. That's I know, that yeah, recommendation. Yeah, that was uh, yeah. I've been, I haven't been watching too many good things, so uh, hopefully, I have better things to report next time. Uh, if I can recommend one other nostalgic thing, so um, uh, so I've watched Smallville on Hulu. Um, so over on HBO Max, uh, one show I actually happened it's ironically it's also superman related but it's the superman animated series that takes place within the dc animated universe that started with batman the animated series really chart really like a really solid like animated series for the time especially for the 90s i remember watching the show back on kids wb quite a bit back in the day um tim daly as superman is great uh dana dana delaney as lois um like perfect lois lane as well um but the real i mean one of the best voice actors is clancy brown and he voices lex luther so like he is like it's like him and i would also say michael rosenbaum his performance as lex luther in smallville those two are the the two best lex luther like uh portrayals i've seen actually now that i think now that i think about actually so um, I don't watch Supergirl on the CW, um, but I have seen the clips of where John Cryer shows up as Lex Luthor. And having seen him play Alan Harper on Two and a Half Men for how many years? Um, it's surprising to see him actually play a really good Lex Luthor, surprisingly. Um, so, yeah. Um, so so are, are you saying that he, he improved from Lenny Luthor? He did. He did. <laughs> Surprising. So no joke. Yes. The dude. Yeah, oh, you're just actually, an experiment, weirdo, freako. Actually, oh, I do. No. I, actually, I, I do have a positive recommendation. I sure. finally started Better Call Saul with my girlfriend, and it's fucking wonderful because Breaking Bad is probably my favorite show of all time. It could have been Game of Thrones, but then they decided to shit the bed. Uh, <laughs> But uh, yeah, Breaking Bad is is a flawless TV show in my mind. And I don't know why. I didn't have too much of a desire to start Bear Call Saul. I started it when it first debuted, and it didn't really grab me at first. And I think because it, it uh, came out not too long after Breaking Bad, so I think my expectations were just, you know, waiting for another Breaking Bad. But that's the completely wrong perspective to have with it. It's really its own thing. And it's, uh, it's wonderful as, as just like a, you know, a legal drama essentially with, uh, you know, with occasional appearances from familiar characters. Like if you've seen breaking bad, like you'll, there's so much added context to, to well, uh, to well-known characters that really flush them out a lot more. And, it's uh, I don't know if you've watched it, but 
It. Uh, I've only seen. I've only. I, I've only actually only seen probably the pilot, and much like you, if I I, I had trouble, and so I kind of. It, uh, I kind of gave up afterwards. It's a slow start, but it really picks up, and uh, especially there's a. Uh, I think it's the seventh episode of season one. Uh, there's an episode dedicated to Mike, and it is fucking amazing. So, and Mike Emmertrout is one of the best characters in all of Breaking Bad. He, <laughs> especially his final Jonathan, line Jonathan, in Breaking Jonathan Bad, Jonathan Banks is wonderful. And uh, oh, actually, it's, so speaking of Bob Odenkirk, I'm, I'm just not re- remembering. Oh yeah, I actually did see some good shit. I saw Nobody. And it is fucking. I heard that's pretty amazing. good. I heard that's it's pretty amazing. good. Amazing. I had no idea. Well, for one, Bob Odenkirk surprisingly sells, you know, hand to hand combat, and and uh, fucking Christopher Lloyd shows up and plays a unexpected role. I'll uh, I'll leave it at that. But that was a, <laughs> that was a blast to see. Uh, yeah, I mean, being that was it directed by the same. Guy who so did it was or produced no so it was actually so I think it was a Russian director, but oh, okay. the writer of John Wick, the okay. original writer of the first one, came back to do yeah. I mean, this yeah, movie. it's uh, you know, it's not just like this John Wick wannabe, really. I mean, it's on the surface, it seems like there's some similarities, but it really does do its its own unique thing, you know, because John Wick is much more stylized and. This one tried, you know, is a little more subdued, but still has elements of that over-the-top action that made John Wick a lot of fun. So it's, uh, I, I would definitely recommend checking it out. It's uh, especially, you know, just a, just it's a good old kick-ass action movie, and I miss those. We need more of those. Well, the action genre definitely has had a resurgence with John Wick, but you know. Most most action movies today are all superhero dog, movies. Dog shit. And there's, yeah, yeah, because a lot of them aren't as good as they used to be. But you know, I mean, it's since, yeah, um, since John Wick, we've gotten better action. Yeah, no, well. we definitely have. I mean, it's because I'm I'm sick of CG climaxes, you know, explosions and superhero landings and blah 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 blah. And Neeson, like quick cutting, climbing over a fence and taking three, taking three, the, the fugitive two, whatever the <laughs> fuck. Uh, but yeah, so the uh, so sometimes just a good old dude beating the shit out of mindless henchmen is, is all I need. And I forgot how much <laughs> I miss stuff like that because it it reminds you of how fucking good good old fashioned fight choreography can really be when, when done right. So yeah, definitely check out nobody. It's uh, it, it's definitely, uh, definitely a genuine surprise right there. I, I dug it. All right. Well, I think that's it for the recommendation section. So um, that's not the official title. I'll, I'll think of something um, in the meantime, but anyways, let us dive into the day that is the day the earth stood still um so i for me so this was this was my choice actually so um i remember uh so my grandmother used to have like old like movie catalog magazines that you could like 
buy like these DVDs or whatnot and you just flip through them. And I, I think I remember seeing an image for this movie. Um, and then I think also I saw like images of, um, of like behind the scenes footage, footage or behind the scenes pictures of Gort, or at least the actor playing Gort, Locke Martin, who is like in real life, really seven, he was seven feet tall and like just cramped up in that like suit. I think it's so I think here it's like, was it? It's made out of a foamed neoprene suit. <laughs> I'm like, that must have been uncomfortable wearing that suit. Um, but so the first time I watched it, I think it, I don't remember if I was in high school or if it was middle school, but it was like, it was like dirt. It was, it must've been on a weekend. Um, but, uh, yeah, it was playing. It was like, it was playing one morning. I think, I don't remember if it was AMC or TCM. I saw it airing on, but like, it was one of the, it was like one of the movie channels. So, and so, um, I remember, uh, watching it. Um, and normally at that point in my life, I'm like, Oh, black and white movies. This sucks. Like, this is before I had seen 12 Angry Men. So um, 12 Angry Men is one of my all time favorite movies. And uh, I didn't have the patience for all black and white movies back then. Um, listen, to but, 12, listen to our 12 Angry Men review. Yes, please do. Um, but um, as soon as I started watching it, I was actually kind of mesmerized. And I actually really got intrigued by the plot. And uh, as I said earlier, the plot is basically uh, Flying Saucer lands in D.C. And... Um, um, uh, and a visitor from another planet pops out, followed by a giant robot named Gort. Um, and the moment like Klaatu tries to be nice to everybody, he gets shot <laughs> in the fucking shoulder, and Gort just like vaporizes all the weapons. <laughs> um, so don't fuck with Gort. Um, but yeah, so yeah, seeing having seen this movie. Several times now since then, because I remember well the last time I saw it before for watching for this um, was actually back in film school. It was we were watching uh, it was for my advanced film theory course. I know that sounds so fucking pretentious, but um, I remember we watched it as part of because we were studying science fiction and horror films, um, and this was one of the science fiction films we watched and. Um, yeah, I forgot just how much I actually really enjoyed this movie and, um, what's crazy is so that, so it, right. So this came out in 1951, um, on September 18th. So this year will mark the 70th anniversary of this movie's release. And so I thought, um, Hey, why don't we talk about this movie before everyone else does? So we're getting our kicks in now, but, um, I'm going to turn it over to you, Jeff. Uh, I like to know, um, what were your like first impressions watching this? And like, I think you had told me you had seen this before. So yeah. Why don't you? Yeah. I, I first saw this. Um, I want to say like maybe five years ago. So it's, uh, it's definitely been a little while, but I initially, you know, like I, I heard about it for a while. Uh, you know, I knew some of the imagery and classic lines from, from the film and I knew the basic premise, uh, James Rolfe was actually the first person to bring this movie to my attention. Uh, he did a video talking about the uh, talking about Alien Vader movies and comparing them to their remakes. And I do remember seeing the remake in theaters. It uh, it was just incredibly forgettable that I just kind of forgot about it shortly after seeing it. 
Uh, so after that, I just never really bothered. It was just one of those movies where I wasn't disinterested in seeing it. It was just never seen as much of a priority to me. And what I so eventually when I did see it, I didn't know what to expect because uh, I've had experience of seeing movies that are so widely celebrated and acclaimed that I just don't like as as much as people uh, prop it up to to being. And. And that, that wasn't really the case with this movie. I I don't love it. I respect the fuck out of it for uh, for what it did for the science fiction genre, uh, you know, for alien invader movies in general. Uh, I like the the messaging of the film. I think it's very mature for its time, and it's a very good social and political commentary. It's just not a movie that I picture myself rewatching a crazy amount of times. If I if I first saw it uh, when I was like really into uh, you know classic films as a you know as a kid you know I I would watch movies like uh, like the classic Universal monster movies and uh, you know sometimes classic sci-fi films like uh, like the original War of the Worlds if I saw it at that point in my life you know then I would probably have this very sentimental nostalgic connection with it so I definitely see the appeal. I just feel like I saw it too late in life to have the desired impression that's uh, that a lot of people really have with this film. Yeah, I I I, I actually kind of understand what you mean because I mean this isn't this is no by no means like one of my all time favorite films, but this is definitely a movie that I definitely do like. Um, I, I will I will say like I Michael Rennie's performance is out fucking standing like he he's the, I would say he's definitely the highlight of the, of the film. Well, it's funny because I so Michael Rennie, um, there's only one other movie I seen him in. I think it's called Third Man on the Mountain, uh, which is based off uh, a novel that I had to read in eighth grade called Banner in the Sky. It's about a it's about a boy trying to climb a, the tallest mountain in his village. Um, somewhere in Europe and Michael Rennie plays like the uh, foreign explorer that comes to climb the peak. Um, so, I mean, I'd always, I, th- I, I haven't really seen much of his work, but um, if it's any indication, like this man truly uh, is a master at his craft because he's very charismatic. He's very he's charming. charming. He, he has a very, welcoming presence you can tell that he's a man who uh, believes in rational thought as well as compassionate thought uh yeah this is a man who um you, you want can totally like this movie reeks of star trek influence oh, yeah because this is totally so klaatu come so that's his character's name klaatu comes from a an alien federation that has basically um evolved into a utopia sorts they believe in like they live in complete harmony and peace um their way of enforcement are these robots which gort is one of um and these robots apparently can do some real damage if um if left on check or whatnot but so um this is definitely this is definitely an incredible performance from him uh, immediately, like 
because immediately you know just how fucking good Michael Rennie is when Klaatu uh, is being, um, would it be interrogated or questioned by um, a man, by a government man named Harley, um, or the president's secretary, Mr. Harley, because uh, it sounds more like an interrogation to me, not an actual like questionnaire, if you will. And so, because um, they, he obviously the president secretary wants to know uh, why, why is he here? And he's like, well, I have a message, but it's not meant for one person. It's meant for everyone. And so he wants to meet with, you know, the world's leaders. And um, Mr. Harley is like, well, that's not possible because everyone's not everyone's seen eye to eye right now. So you have to remember, this is so 1951. This is post-World War II. We are now living in the Cold War era. Um, the Soviet Union and the U.S. are very much at odds. There's a threat of nuclear destruction coming at, that feels almost imminent. Uh, I don't believe the Red Scare has happened just yet. Thank you, Pre uh, Senator McCarthy, you piece of shit. <laughs> um, so... Um, this is definitely so everyone is definitely on edge and this movie definitely has the vibes of uh what uh of uh the potentials of um it, it's a cautionary tale of like this is what could potentially happen if you know the cold war goes down the path that no one wants to go to i mean thankfully um thankfully the opposite direction has been taken otherwise me and jeff probably wouldn't be here discussing this movie um <laughs> But the point still stands like this is a very cautionary tale. Um, and so and again, part of it is part of part of it is Michael Rennie's performance as clad too, um, because he's just he's a man who is on a mission, but he's also willing to understand. Um, and so um, when we when he first when he escapes the hospital in epic fashion um it's not seen but like i love by the way i love how like <laughs> so when the military people when like the military man or the military police on guard at his hotel in his hospital room like uh locks the door i love how he smiles because it's like oh i can get past that so easily such a primitive technology or whatnot <laughs> so so he's just so yeah he just escapes and i was like oh shit he's gone and there he is just walking down the street and he just sees um he sees the little room for rent at the house and uh that's where he first meets helen benson and her son bobby um i love the way he's introduced by the way when, i'm I'm, uh, I'm very disappointed that uh, he wasn't running from uh mr dickovich <laughs> rent it would have been a very different movie <laughs> Speaking of which, I think I, I am Klaatu. Oh, what is Klaatu? Can I spend it? <laughs> you know what? Speaking of which, I actually think I did see the actor who plays Mr. Dickovich in person once. Um, I'm not too positive. It looks so much like him. I wasn't too positive. But like, if it was him, I totally would have been like, rent! <laughs> God, I wonder, I wonder if he knows what a legendary meme he is now. <laughs> I don't know if he does. That's like, a good I'm question. sure Toby knows, but him, I don't know. But I'd be curious. You think Kristen and I mean, you think Kristen? I always keep saying Kristen. You think Kirsten, uh, Sam Raimi, and James Franco know too? I would imagine they would. Mm. 
especially especially Sam Raimi. I think I think he is aware of what he's created. Oh um, yeah, oh yeah. Anyways, though, but what I wanted to say real quickly. We're totally talking about the Raimi trilogy someday. At some point, but um, I love that shot of like so everyone's talking. Everyone's like um, surrounded by the TV. They're listening to the warnings. Well, okay, so like I love how, so like there are all these. There's something I did want to mention. Like all these like news stations and radio stations are talking about this guy is a menace. There's this one station though that's like he is potentially a menace, but he could also potentially be our friend. So you know, I'm like, you know what? I like that they leave that that there is at least one person in the media and the mainstream press who's at least a little open-minded. So I'll give them that. But um, I didn't think they'd have the balls to go there, but Hey, who knows? But so yeah, Bobby turns around and I love how it's Klaatu and silhouette until they turn on the lights. Cause it's, he just, it's like, he's a stranger and whatnot. Um, it's kind of a, it almost has like an eerie feeling to his introduction. I didn't know how he felt about that, but I was like, uh, that's some good imagery right there. Oh yeah, no, I, I will say the uh, uh, Robert Wise's direction is very solid. Uh, he, he has tremendous. I mean, uh, especially when uh, jumping ahead a little bit, but once the power goes temporarily out, uh, mm-hmm. his use the use of shadows in uh, in the elevator especially looked beautiful. I just remembered who Robert Wise is <laughs> now. Now that I think about it. So um, if you don't know who Robert Wise is, Robert Wise is much like how we talked, how we gave tribute to Richard Donner at the beginning of our last installment, this man is also quite profound with his work. Um, this man gave you West Side Story. He gave you The Sound of Music. And he's also responsible for Star Trek The Motion Picture. So this man truly, this man has dipped his foot in quite a few places. Um, so I find it funny. It's funny. We mentioned that this is like pre-Star Trek. So I find it funny that he eventually does oh, yeah. work on a film that has like a lot of utopian themes. Yeah, so yeah. I can because I I haven't seen the uh, I haven't seen Star Trek the Motion Picture, but we should talk about that movie. I yeah, I mean I'd love to. Uh, but I mean yeah, I can I can definitely see why Robert Wise was a was like a desired choice for that movie at the time, especially with you know because I imagine this film was an influence for Gene Roddenberry. Yeah, I I definitely would agree with that. So it's funny because I I kind of remember the paper I had to write on this novel on, on this because we I talked about um I forgot exactly what the paper was. It was a midterm paper, but um my midterm paper was on the day the Earth stood still because we had to write about something. We had to write about a movie that we seen in class, um, and I chose this movie, and I specifically talked about like utopian and dystopian themes mainly utopian because um the day the earth the day the earth stood still is very much like gives you obviously you never see where klaatu comes from because uh budget but that's besides the point but you know klaatu gives you the idea of like where it comes from like um uh, trains don't run on tracks um you know, spaceships fly forth, fly at forth that four thousand miles an hour. Um, like everyone lives in harmony. Uh, people pay with diamonds instead of uh, cash. So, and uh, it, it sounds like everyone lives in harmony. Whereas, like on Earth, everyone's got issues. I guess. <laughs> so, um, 
it gives you so you kind of you often wonder like just how amazing or this utopia that Klaatu comes from really is. So um, I like these hints that you get here and there. Uh, I, think it's, I think it's kind of interesting where you could also interpret it in a way of of maybe Klaatu being uh, being a villain. You know, what if he... Uh, you could easily make that distinction too. I mean, like, he like never, well, he's well, never well, really well, a I mean, villain. Well, I mean, for one, like, you don't know if he's lying about, about his home world. You know, like, he could totally be bullshitting and then if every if the world you know, decided to listen to him like okay now we own your asses <laughs> but yeah no actually you are, well actually you're right though because you are right cuz i mean obviously again you don't really know much about the world he comes from other than what he describes especially with that ending speech which we can talk about later but um i mean if if it's any indication the firepower that he has in Gort alone um, is very much proof that like, obviously um, <laughs> well, the two indications obviously is spacecraft is literal flying saucer and Gort are indications that, yeah, he comes from a very, from a far more advanced civilization. Okay. So I, I briefly want to touch on Gort. So no, oh, we I, can talk about Gort because so I like, think there's some interesting things to say. Yeah. So I, Pretty much like nine times out of ten, I don't bitch about the effects in older movies, you know, because I I watch like shitty Godzilla movies and everything. And but it's like I love the design of Gord, but I think maybe just because I was watching this movie on Blu-ray, some of the uh, you know, some of the effects were more exposed thanks to the, you know, to the higher resolution. I once I saw the the rubber on Gord's legs folding in on itself. Every time he took a step, it, it kind of took me out of it a little bit. Well, I saw it more in his arms. Cause you can definitely tell like his arms it's like, Oh man, that's rubbery as fuck. Yeah. And, but, uh, but and again, I, you have to remember this is, this oh, yeah, is the it's, it's 1951. I get it. But mm-hmm. at the, but I mean, at the same time, you know, it's like, I, I think of movies like King Kong, you know, that, you know, it's back in 1933, and it's uh, it, that stop motion. Well, there, there's a variety of different effects in there, right? And uh, you know, because that that movie had like full fledged animatronics at some point, yeah. and with uh, I don't know, because this wasn't a low budget movie; it was moderately budget, and so I don't know. I, I felt like they could have perhaps crafted stronger material around that robot. I mean, it it gets the job done, but. I I don't know. Like I, I I'm basically just nitpicking right here. And well, then I I have a question for you. Then huh. which version of Gort do you prefer? Do you prefer the one that's seven feet tall, or do you prefer the giant uh, CGI monstrosity that Gort is in the remake? I don't remember a fucking thing from that remake. All <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, I. Uh, I mean, because again, like I said, I don't have a problem with Gord as as a design because you know that's one of the most famous robots in all of science fiction, and rightfully so. It's a cool design, and uh, I would just say the only the only effect that made me just kind of laugh was uh, was when Gord picks up the the chick at the end, and the wires are so fucking. He picks up Helen. Yeah, and the wires are just right there, and it's like y'all can get clear wires. 
I mean, so I obviously didn't watch a Blu-ray version. I probably watched maybe a lower res version of the film. Yeah, did, yeah, did you on, not like, pick up on that? Site. No. So, re- so okay, so where are the wires? Uh, so so right when Gord is carrying her off, you know, it's a it's a it's kind of like a decent, decently framed medium shot. Uh, so, you right, know, yeah, I remember so, the shot. Yeah. So uh, at least in the version I watched, uh, you can see the wires clear as day and it it's very distracting. And so and norm and I don't know, like it's because I've seen, you know, techniques being used to where uh, like again, like I know this is stop motion, but apparently the technique is possible. Like when Ray Harryhausen was, uh, was doing movies like earth versus the flying saucers. He came out a few years after day of the year stood still, you know, he would, uh, you know, uh, frame by frame animate the flying saucers. And whenever he, whenever they were flying over cities, they would, uh, he would actually paint the strings along with all the movement to make sure that they blended into the background and everything. And, and I think, uh, I don't know. It's it's 1951, so I'm not I'm not going to be too harsh on it. But it's it's like when you have a movie that, for the most part, has very competent effects and cinematography. When some, when there's just that one shot that just sticks out so terribly, it's <laughs> it's like ah, uh, if you fix that one fucking thing. But yeah, whatever. Again, I I, I watch shitty B movies all the time, so it's obviously i've seen worse well so i mean i've heard people say this is a b movie um i don't know if how i feel about that because i mean no this is i i would say like the like uh what it does thematically kind of elevates it to you know beyond a b movie status because it's like yeah it has contemporary elements of what you would expect out of a b movie and the era that it was made you would obviously expect that but you know i feel like the the messaging it tries to implement kind of elevates it a little bit more but if someone called it a b movie i would be one of those things where it's like i don't fully agree but i i get where you're coming you can from. get where you, it's coming where they're coming from with it yeah um, it um and um yeah i like again i I completely forgot where I was going with this. God damn it. <laughs> well, I'm a professional. Well, um, well, there, there is. So I do like the moments where Klaatu is hanging out with Helen's son, Bobby, um, by the way. So uh, like I would also child actors, that- child actors back in the day are kind of a hit and miss. Um, uh, Billy Gray is Bobby. He's, uh, he's doing our, he's doing what he can. He's, you know, he's a kid. I mean, I mean like so I, he, I, he's doing what he can. I mean, I don't know if he got lost on his way to the leave it to the leave it to Beaver set, but <laughs> uh, he looks like Ron Howard. <laughs> he, he wasn't. Was he on? I don't think he was on Leave It to Beaver. I think that. Yeah, I think that's Ron Howard. No, no, no. I mean, like, well, you, but you, he you, reminds you. He reminds you, you of Ron my Howard. Joke. <laughs> But because because that kid, you know, just reeks of the gosh, golly, exactly. Era, era of exactly. Kid. But I mean, he's he's fine. I like he I I think he, he does a serviceable enough job with his performance, uh, you know, because, again, child actors are usually the opposite of good. Mm-hmm. And 
for you know for that era you know he's he's fine he and i i do think that he has a pretty good chemistry with with michael rennie especially when they go to especially when they go to um so like one of my favorite moments with Klaatu is actually when they go to the Lincoln Memorial and uh, he reads the Gettysburg Address that's yeah. been engraved and he goes, I would have loved to have met that man. Like what an excellence, what what such powerful words they were, um, <laughs> which actually in my in my kind of cynical mind of like, um, I mean, Lincoln was definitely a good president and a good man, but like. Um, I don't, you know, you know, as they say, history is written by the victors. So who knows what, who knows what Lincoln was like in real life? For all we know, he could have been a vampire hunter. Wink, wink. <laughs> I forgot that even existed. It's, it's based off a novel, but, um, but yeah, there is a movie based on that too. But yeah. Um, I heard he's only Lincoln, like, uh, like, you know, beer and hat Lincoln for the last like 30 minutes of that movie. Once I heard that, I'm like, all right, fuck that. I haven't seen it, so I wouldn't know. Although I am tempted to watch it, actually. But, um, but, but going back to the chemistry. So yeah, I think Michael Rennie and Billy Gray have a really good chemistry because he seems like obviously he has a he, he looks up to Klaatu quite a bit. Uh, Billy, I'm Bobby, <laughs> Billy, <laughs> whatever. But yeah, Bobby, yeah, Bobby really well, likes. It's almost Klaatu. midnight, folks. We're fucking tired. <laughs> yeah, but but the point is. <laughs> But the point is, is that um, Bobby looks up to Klaatu quite a bit because he's very amazed by like the wonders of Klaatu's world. Um, the other thing, the other thing is, so, um, so Helen definitely seems like a rational woman because, like, she actually, I mean, obviously, so before she knows the truth about Klaatu, like, she actually is like giving some rational comments about, like, you know, maybe we should should learn like why he's here, like maybe we should at least hear him out and that stuff. Like maybe he's here to actually be good for people. Uh, and, and everyone like gives her shit for it. Um, I fucking hate her boyfriend. Tom is an asshole. Tom is a complete yeah, he, dick. Yeah. He's a dick. <laughs> Tom, so like, this is how, you know, Tom is a complete asshole when like, obviously. So when he finds when he, well, actually the first indicator is, uh, um, when, Bobby comes by the way, Bob, uh, Billy's best acting is actually when he doesn't speak, when he just watches, uh, clat to go back to the, go back to the, the saucer at night and, uh, instructs, um, Gort to like, uh, help him get back into the ship. The acting on, uh, the acting that Billy gives off, um, just, uh, like the amazement and kind of like terror. He's just like, especially for a child actor that's pretty impressive so i like so sometimes you know it's not about the dialogue it's about how the facial expressions are expressed actually um, a kind of a funny coincidence since i just mentioned earth the flight earth versus the flying saucers uh the guy who plays tom the dick is the star of earth versus the flying saucers is he really <laughs> <laughs> oh that's funny <laughs> So yeah, but anyways, though Tom, like, so like the first indicator that like he doesn't like that uh, Helen uh, talks about Klaatu all the time, aka well, uh, they know him as Mister Carpenter, um, but still, but still, like that's the indicator that like what like I'm pretty sure Helen's okay. I mean, like, sure, I'm pretty sure like Helen just appreciates uh, uh, Klaatu helping out, helping out, and like being friendly with Bobby. And, uh, you know, 
doing things with Bobby, but like, it's not like he, like Tom, I think you're okay. I think Helen, I think Helen's willing to give you a chance or whatnot for Christ's sakes. But then you really know he's a dick when he's like, I don't care about <laughs> when like he, when he gets, when he first finds that diamond and he like takes it to a jeweler. And then he's like, he wants to like talk to the general in charge of like finding clat too. It's just like, uh, it's just like, I don't care about everything. I just care about this. And Helen's like, you son of a bitch. <laughs> It's like, you're going to marry a hero. It's like, no, I'm not going to marry everyone. I'm like, good for you, Helen. Good for you. You tell that SOB where to shove it up his ass. (laughs) Oh, yeah. And then she's thinking, I wonder if the spaceman is single. (laughs) That's not you. You you basically just deconstructed my whole argument. God damn it. (laughs) (sighs) But I, I so but actually so one of the sets I I really liked um, was the interior. So the flying saucer itself I think is a really cool like I, obviously it's it everything's all practical except for the op the optical effects that um <laughs> that you see in the in the movie. But um, I like the I like how like uh I like the design of the ship. It's a very basic flying saucer. And then, like, when you go inside the saucer, it's kind of what you expect it to be. Like, you have all these lights. You have it exactly. It looks like something out of, like, like a 1940s or 30s, like, science fiction setting for a, a spaceship. Um, all, I like how, like, everything is all motion controlled. Like, you just wave your hand. Um, it's, like the, it's like the earliest motion control out there. You just wave your hand. The light goes on or off. Um, it's kind of like it's kind of like today how you, how you, like... <laughs> You remember the clap lights where you just clap your hand and the light turns on or off? Clap on. <laughs> clap off. Those damn commercials. I don't remember those commercials, but I definitely remember. I definitely remember. <laughs> I think it was like the second Crocodile Hunter, Crocodile Dundee movie where like uh, he's fooling around with like one of those lights. I just remember kind of laughing my ass off a little bit. <laughs> um but yeah, so it's uh, uh, the set itself is actually really impressive. I mean, definitely has that. It has that classic like fifties, sixties B movie feeling to it. But um, it, it fits, and I like the set. The costume that he wears for the alien suit exactly what you expect him to wear. Um, so like, it's all stereotypical. But um, in the end, I it works. It, it's it's very effective. Um, I like the feeling, the look of it all. Um, it, it definitely has that, uh, I mean, it's, it, it's screaming. It's definitely screaming out spaceman, spaceman, spaceman. But in the end, you kind of just, bu- you, you kind of just like you buy into it because you're more intrigued with like, what is Klaatu really up to? Um, so that's, that's where I draw the line at at least. Awkward silence. Okay. Yeah. I, I, hi. <laughs> <laughs> um, but so the other, one of the other relationships I liked is so um, when, so if um, Klaatu decides if he can't meet with the world's leaders, he decides he's going to try and talk to one of the m- more rational minds. And so he meets with uh, professor Barnhart. And I like how like, he this is like this is how he's going to leave his calling card. He sees like the celestial mathematics equation that uh, Barnhart's working on. He's like, all right, I'm just going to add a few things here or there on the. <laughs> That's cute. 
on the yeah he's just like <laughs> that's okay he's almost got it but i can do a little bit better and he just adds a little bit uh adds a little like chalkboard note here and there and a scientific equation and he's like um just uh, and so like when the when like the caretaker woman re- arrives he's like um just here's my address um come pick have someone pick me up here um i'm pretty sure dr professor barnhart has a lot to ask so uh, sure enough they sure enough fades to like a government man picking him up and he goes over to uh barnhart's place and uh barnhart definitely has a lot of questions and that's when you kind of get a sense of like what you get a sense of what uh klaatu is doing on earth uh he's there to give this like message of like um basically the alien the alien federation that he represents uh, is fears that i mean they, they see that how earth is like in a constant inner struggle with like its people um and they see that they're developing atomic power they're like well however you use that power is up to you but um the moment you develop space technology and use that atomic power outside of earth then we have a problem so we're here to kind of like let you know, um, hey, uh, you might want to reconsider that option at some point. So, um, so he, so he, he and Doctor, I mean Professor Barnhart, um, decide that they're going to have like a summit of like the world's top leading scientists uh, meet at the saucer, um, and that's and that leads into, it leads into the scene where Bobby follows Clat too. And then the aforementioned moment that the earth stood still for 30 minutes. And that that's actually one of the more effective scenes in the movie. Cause like, I agree. Cause that's like, what time is it right now? It just turned noon. It's happening. And uh, Helen realizes Bobby was telling the truth. Wasn't he? He said, yes, Yes, he was. And you see that everything has stopped, all electrical. Essentially, he has sent out an electromagnetic pulse that lasts for 30 minutes. Um, everything stops. Cars stop. Radio stop. Um, lights stop. Uh, the dams stop. Uh, Ferris wheels stop. Anything that's electrical powered um, stops. Basically, trying to show that... Um, um, we can st- we can turn off all the plant's electricity just like that if we so choose. Um, and so here's how you're going to spend your life on Earth for like 30 minutes without power. So this is what it feels like. And uh, of course, everyone's in a state of panic. And now and now that's when the U.S. Army is like, we've really got to find the spaceman now at this point. And so like they like shut off, they block all like uh, travel, so you can't fly, you can't take a bus or a train. You can't even drive out of Washington. It's like, we must find the spaceman at all costs. And uh, yeah. And then you get the moment where Tom's a complete asshole. <laughs> He's like, honey, you're going to marry a hero. And she's like, I'm not going to marry anyone. Um, I'm going to see what that spaceman <laughs> wants to do. <laughs> um, and so you get to you get to the moment in the taxi when they're fleeing with Helen and Klaatu. And, and Klaatu is worried that what's he's worried that Gort um if anything happens to him Gort's gonna go off the reservation and start destroying things because a bear because he apparently he is indestructible 
even if he's wearing a rubber suit. <laughs> so, it's so thick uh, ass rubber, yeah, very thick ass rubber. So he just, so he tells, he tells her the words Klatu Barada Nikto. Um, who Nick the hell I, knows what it nickel? <laughs> who the hell knows what it means? But essentially, uh, when she does tell, when Helen does tell Gort that Gort basically stands down and uh, rescues Klaatu. So Klaatu gets fucking shot and he actually again. dies uh, again, <laughs> but he dies this time. But Klaatu. So I find it, I find it funny. So like for whatever reason, he's not in a medical, he's not in a morgue. He's not on some like medical table. He's in a, he's, his body is in a fucking jail cell. Like, why would you put a dead body, especially an alien body, in a fucking jail cell? He's because not obviously he might try to escape. <laughs> but my point is, like, he's not going anywhere. He's fucking dead. Are like, you questioning the, the competence of the U.S. government? Yes. <laughs> Good question. <laughs> when have they ever fucked up? Gee, I wonder. <laughs> so, um, but um, so I wanted to talk about Klaatu Barada Nikto. So um, as Jeff mentioned at the very beginning, uh, yes, uh, evil De- army of darkness did borrow this line. Uh, but this is also one of the most quoted lines in all of not just not just science fiction, but all of cinemas, because like that line has been used like like in different variations, like all over the fucking place. And I, I don't know why it's just one of those things where it, it just kind of happened. Yeah. I, did you know, I don't know if you knew this, but like, so I read something about Klaatu Verada Nikto. Um, it was, let's see here. I'm trying to find it, but like, did you, you, I didn't know if you knew this, but, um, so for return of the Jedi, two of Jabba the Hutt's employees are named Klaatu and Barada. The former belong belonging to one of the two Nikto species, uh, the Kata's Nick, the Karasa's Nikto or Green Nikto. Uh, one of the Jedi Masters from the Clone Wars is one of the species. Uh, so, uh, so I guess there's definitely some influence there. And then, of course, Army of Dead. There's that. So, um, so what? So essentially, what happens is like. Clot, so Gort breaks Klaatu's dead body out of jail. He's fucking dead. I don't understand why he's in a fucking jail cell, but he is. So he takes him back to the flying saucer and he actually revives him. And so I actually wanted to bring up something um, that I discovered when I was doing some like a little background research. And so I'm going to just I'm just going to read it to you real quick. This is from the Wikipedia. So in a 1995 interview, the one of the producers, Julian Blaustein explained that Joseph Breen, the film censor installed by the Motion Picture Association of America at 20th Century Fox Studios at the time, balked at the portrayal of Klaatu's resurrection and limitless power. At the behest of the MPAA, a line was written into the script when Helen asks Klaatu whether Gort has unlimited power over life and death. Klaatu explains that Gort has only revived him temporarily. That power is reserved to the almighty spirit. Of the elements that he added to Klaatu's character, screenwriter Edmund North said, 
It was my private little joke. I never discussed this angle with Blaustein or Wise because I didn't want it expressed. I had originally hoped that the Christ comparison would be subliminal. That the question even came up in an interview is proof enough that such comparisons did not remain subliminal, but they are subtle enough so that it is not immediately obvious to all viewers that those elements were intended to compare Klaatu to Jesus Christ. So essentially, what he means is that... Um, so apparently, it. So apparently, um, they're saying that Klaatu is a science fiction Jesus because he's he's arrived on Earth to um, to you know, guide people into a golden age of peace, and he gets he gets shot for his ideals, and then he's resurrected afterwards. I'm like, I never, I had never realized this, but um, I, I mean, that's. I can see, I can definitely see where they're going for, but like, even that's stretching it a little too much. Yeah, I, I mean, it's, I mean, you, you can definitely see the, see the parallels in there. And I, I don't know if that was the intention from the get go, but, uh, but I mean, I think, you know, if you're even willing to go that far to have, you know, fil- like philosophical discussions on a film like this, then I think the story is doing something at least right. Yeah, especially especially with that little like tongue in like uh subliminal joke about about Christ or whatnot or Klaatu being Christ um or parallels, but um I mean geez I mean if you thought the uh if you thought the parallels of Superman to the Bible were apparent or whatnot um there you go but so the way the movie ends of course uh klaatu gives a very impassioned speech to all the science experts of the world um that could either be interpreted as beautiful or ominous yes that's for you to decide (laughs) the words he gives are um your choice is simple join us and live in peace or pursue your present course and face obliteration. We shall be waiting for your answer. And then they de- and then they enter the saucer. Oh, that sounds ominous. <laughs> yes, they enter the saucer. The saucer flies away. The end. Or everyone they, back or on Earth they, is like, "What the fuck did we do?" <laughs> Guys, we we just have to get along now, otherwise we're gonna get fucked up. It's kind of funny now that now that I read that quote, having read that quote out loud, I'm like, I wonder. I mean, obviously, again, you have to remember this movie like was made during the cult, like the beginnings of the Cold War. It's kind of like a little ominous warning of like, this is what could happen if like the U.S. and Soviet decide to nuke each other. I think I, I I know the I know the point they're trying to make, but I don't know. Just like the if you're trying, just like I feel like. At this point, the message isn't conveyed as well as it was in the in the first half, where it uh, I, I don't know, like if you're trying to say like uh, trying to deliver a message of peace and then you're immediately saying, all right, fucking join us. It's it, like, lear- it literally remind it literally kind of sounds it literally like reminds me of uh, uh, it's not exactly a good comparison but it just reminds me of um 
<laughs> of like Star Wars for whatever reason. It's like, join us or die. <laughs> Jabba, <laughs> free us or die. Oh, no, no. If anything, it reminds me of Palpatine's speech in Revenge of the Sith. <laughs> we'll be reorganized into the first galactic empire. <laughs> That's actually a pretty good Palpatine. Not bad. <laughs> For a safer security. <laughs> Clot 2 is Palpatine in disguise the whole fucking time. <laughs> That's pretty good. <laughs> so, uh, Jeff, do you have any uh, final thoughts on the day the Earth stood still? I would say it's... Um, you know, it's one of those movies that, you know, I appreciate... I appreciate it from uh, you know from a historical perspective and what it did for for science fiction history in general and it's a it's an interesting film to look back on and analyze and explore some of the themes but it's just not one that I love per se I uh, I don't know how m- much rewatch value this will have for me over time uh, but I mean being that it's, it's only an hour and a half long it, it's a pretty easy watch it. Uh, yeah, no, it's it it's a good movie. I I would still say, but uh, it's just not one of my personal favorites. I've I've seen better in in the genre. Yeah, no, this is definitely this is definitely a movie that um, uh, that definitely it has a good message. Um, it may not be the most. Kind of. it, it may not kind of depends on how you interpret it. It may not be the most. It's definitely one of the most influential movies, but it may not be one of the most impactful science fiction movies, but you definitely know you definitely know that it's a major staple of science fiction. Um, you it can definitely see very well intentioned, I would say. Yes. Yes, especially the ominous message that Klaatu gives. Um, but it's definitely it's definitely a movie that has definitely left its mark on cinema. Um Especially now that it's coming up on 70 years uh, since the movie came out. Um, I'm very curious to see what people think of this movie now in regards to um, in regards to like where we're going as a species. So um, in that regard, I mean, even though it is a movie of the of 1951, it is kind of actually timeless because. The truth is like the truth is like humans keep fucking up, and so who knows who knows where we're gonna go? Um, do we need an alien visitor telling us what to do, or do we are we able to recognize it before it's too late? And uh, or do we who knows? Do we get our own shit together? Yeah. Do we get our own sh- shit together, or do we wait for a Klaatu to show up with a Gort? And that gort will uh, vaporize everything in sight, and um, or will that robot actually wear like a rubber suit and instead look? <laughs> Who knows? Who knows? It could be a giant like it could be a giant like a uh, skyscraper esque robot that Klaatu. I mean that gort is in the remake. Who knows? Um, but yeah, that's the day the Earth stood still. And uh, I think that's going to do it for this one here, folks. So um, be sure to follow the show on uh, Instagram at TNAPcast. That's T-N-A-A-P 
C-A-S-T. Be sure to subscribe to the YouTube channel, like and comment on our videos, leave uh, suggestions in the comment section for us. Uh, of course, we are on Apple and Spotify, so be sure to follow us there, however you watch or listen to uh, podcasts. And so, yeah, that is going to do it for this installment of Two Nerdskies in a Podcast. We shall be waiting for you or whatnot. (laughs) That came out wrong, I know, too. But okay. So anyways, anyone, everyone, this is Eric. And this is Jeff. Stay shiny, everybody. Fuck off. Please. (laughs) Have a good one. Next level. Next level. Next level. Next level. Next level. Next level.